0: Well, good morning. Once again, it's good to see you. I had to do a quick turnaround with the microphone, so... um, But it's good to see each one of you today. If you are new today. We want to thank you for joining us. You wouldn't know this, but Pastor Ryan is in Kathlamet, Washington. Um, he'd normally be preaching today, but um, he's in Kathlamet, Washington, visiting some family, and he and his family are spending some time on the coast, and I'm so glad that they get to have some, some family time and just away for a while. So you can be praying for them, that there'll they'll be safe travels there, and be praying for the other people in our church who are traveling for spring break. But uh, we want, I want to let you know we're in the middle of a passage. Um, of Scripture, a message series called Shift, moving from what we know to who we know. And the message series um, is focusing on the Sermon on on the Mount, which is a sermon that Jesus gave, uh, and it's covered in three chapters of Mark, Mark 5 through 7. And and we spent the last 10 weeks going through just chapter 5, so there's a lot packed into chapter 5. And what we found out about Jesus what, was that he was a complete radical. He was challenging everything that the, that the religious people, that the Jews of that time who were trying to serve and honor God, he challenged everything that they understood to uh, be moral, their ethics. But he even challenged uh, the devout religious leaders of the day um, the way they viewed the world, the way they led people in their religious practices, and even the way the, the devout religious leaders, he challenged the way that they lived out their own faith. Here's something that he says to those religious leaders of the day, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the, scri- the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, as I was saying, they're, they're the religious elite of the day. Um, they were the example of what it meant to follow God, to walk in righteousness for many, many people. In essence, they were like the living, breathing uh, example of what it meant to be a person that, that walked in God's ways. And uh, and they, they had reached—a lot of people saw them in the way that they had, like reached the pinnacle, that they were the cream of the crop for the Jews of the, of the day— But here we have Jesus saying that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And it's important you keep that verse in your mind, because while we've taken 10 weeks to go through chapter 5, Jesus preached this in one sermon. And so this this is going to be in the minds of those who were hearing what Jesus had to say as we move into chapter 6 today. Um, But Jesus, what he's saying is he goes, as he moves, uh, as he makes this statement, he moves into a list of things that people do to be righteous, to demonstrate their righteousness, but also to, it really, in, in some people's instances, to authentically serve and honor God. Um, and he goes through this list of things, and what he says, is, he, he'll list one thing, like, um, "You uh, are you angry with your brother or sister? Well, I tell you, Um, if you have anger towards them in your heart, then it's like committing murder. And he does this. He goes through a whole list of things, and he continues to up the standard. It's as if uh, if Jesus is saying, nope, all these things that you've done to be righteous before God, they're not good enough. I am going to raise the standard. And he continues to raise the standard through chapter five to the point where uh, we find ourselves asking this question, how can anyone meet God? this standard? How can anyone meet it? If you read through chapter 5, you come to the conclusion that nobody can. No one can meet the standard that Jesus puts in place. So the disciples knew this as they're listening to him. They understood. They're going, this is crazy. Nobody can meet the standard. Everyone else listening to this sermon knew it. They knew no one could meet the standard, and the scribes and the Pharisees most certainly knew it. And then to make matters worse, he says this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he says this, this, this last statement in chapter 5. And uh, now Jesus has raised the standard to absolute perfection. And, and I would say that's an impossible standard for you and me. In reality, he knows that no one is righteous, not one. That's something that Paul said. He says. Uh, Paul also says, all fall short of the glory of God. And he knows that. Jesus knows that every person is dead in their sins and their trespasses. Every person. So Jesus is raising the standard. Essentially what he's saying to those who are listening, and he's saying to you and me is, Hey, you can practice all the righteous deeds you want, but it's not going to outweigh the wrong that you've done. You're still guilty before God. You still don't meet that standard before God. He says the standard of righteousness to be in a right relationship with God is so high that it's already hopeless. You've already failed to meet that standard. He says, hey, your heart is so desperately wicked. Although you profess to know God, you actually are far from God in your heart. And he makes that statement later. And then we come to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, Jesus begins to deal with heart motives even more openly. And let me say something before we dive in this morning. I want to, what I'm about to say, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, this probably isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. What I'm about to say, um, what I want to say before I dive into chapter 6 this morning is that there is a lot of forgiveness, much forgiveness of sins. There is amazing grace and amazing love as we place our faith in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. That standard that he placed, while we couldn't meet it, we're not without hope because God gave us somebody who did live up to that standard, and that was Jesus himself. He lived a perfectly righteous life, and as we trust in him, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He went to the cross. He took our sin, our inability to meet that standard that God put in place. And his righteousness, his righteous life was gifted to us who believe in him. That is the gospel. It's the good news. And as we, and as we trust in Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have hope for this life because we're at peace with God. We have hope for reconciliation of relationships here uh, in this life as well. And we also know that this life isn't all there is, but there's eternal life. And so we place our faith in Christ and it's it's a very freeing thing. Um, but what I don't want you to hear as I go through this message today is if you do all of these things and then if you just change your heart motivation somehow and try to like, like maneuver your heart in a way that you think is somehow honoring God, that that's going to make you acceptable to God. Because that's, exactly the opposite of what Christ is trying to say. He's trying to point out our need for him. What he's saying, I hope what you hear, is do all of these things out of love for the God who first loved us. And so um, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, um, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. Um, Maybe during this message, you'll place your faith in Christ, but at the end, you're going to have an opportunity to pray with somebody. And if you feel led to pray with somebody, I want to encourage you to come up. There'll be some elders and their wives up here Um, to pray with you after the last song today. And so, uh, before we move into chapter 6, I want to talk about just some of the implications of the conditions of our hearts. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, it's a very freeing thing. For those who have not placed their faith in Christ, I bring it up because we're going to be dealing with the heart's motivation. Before a person trusts Christ, it seems strange to say this. I want all the credit I want all the honor and I want all the glory to go to God and God alone, not to me. And I think the reason that's so hard for us to say is because we're, stru- we're still trying to get the praise of others. We're still trying to self-affirm ourselves. We're trying to convince ourselves that we're good enough, that we meet those standards that God has spelled out, but we'd be kidding ourselves, wouldn't we? Because we know that eventually we're going to fail, even if we somehow, like, Uh, try to live by the letter of the law, or we try to drum up righteousness, we think we can live up to the standards, but in reality, we're just trying to convince ourselves that we can be like God, that we're righteous, and that we're good. But the fact is, we know that we're just putting on a front that we are not like God, that we are not righteous and good, and that there's a deep problem with our heart and our heart's motivations. It was the same for the scribes and Pharisees. And here's, here's what Jesus had to say about those leaders who performed righteous and good acts in his time. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines human commands. That's the condition of people who try to live an outwardly righteous life, but their heart is far from Christ. Did you know that um, Matthew, just a side note, Matthew uh, has two concepts that he pits against each other, and really it's Jesus. Most of Matthew is Jesus' um, teaching. Um, There's two concepts. There's what we just read, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, so perfection, and perfection, uh, you could define it maybe this way, it is wholehearted devotion to God with your body, mind, heart, soul, strength. Everything that you are, your entire life, your thoughts, your heart, your motivations, everything you do, it is devoted to God holy. That's perfection. Okay? Perfect. The other thing that he stands in contrast to perfection is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, this is the person that wants to appear good. They want it to appear as if, They have achieved righteousness. They want it to appear like they are close to God. They may even have fooled themselves into thinking that they are righteous. But we know that a right view of ourselves includes the realization that we're not righteous, that we need a remedy for sin, and the only person we really should compare ourselves to is not ourselves, it's not the people around us. The only person we should compare ourselves to is Jesus Christ because he set that perfect standard. And because of God and his grace and mercy, he poured out his love and grace on sinners like us. We no longer seek glory for ourselves because salvation is a gift. It's a free gift from God. It's nothing to do with ourselves. We can't boast about ourselves. We seek glory for the one who should get all the glory. It's Jesus Christ. And that's the underlying, um, that's the underlying thought of this passage today. His glory is now your story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you won't struggle with your heart at times, with the flesh at times, but the new man should desire, the new person that God has made you should desire to give glory to Jesus and Jesus alone. His glory is now your story. With that said, we're going to dive into what Jesus had to say in Matthew 6, but first let's go ahead and pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you and ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds to your word. Your word is powerful and effective. It's amazing. Lord, you are amazing. And I pray, Lord, that as we are digging into what Jesus said here in Matthew 6, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to maybe have the mind of a Jew, the Jews who are listening, but Lord, would you cut deeply into our hearts? Would you convict us? Would you help us to see if there's any way in us that needs to be corrected? Lord, would you help us to have a vision of you that is far greater than when we walked in this morning? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 6 says this, if I can get it to work, says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Before we do that... um, I want to ask you guys: uh, Have you ever been to Cold Stone Creamery? You had ice cream at Cold Stone Creamery, yeah? Okay, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Cold Stone. Okay, yes. Okay, good. So about half of you. Um, can you fix the lights? I th- accidentally went forward too soon, so I think they're like dimming on us here. But uh, uh, so I discovered something. I love going to Cold Stone Creamery. How, how many of you tipped at Cold? It's okay. Raise your hand. How many of you tipped at Cold Stone Creamery? Okay you kind of know what happens when you tip at coldstone key okay, we're going to find out here in just a second so i want to show you i want to show you what happens when we tip at coldstone creamery Just one more. I, there was another one I really liked, so I, it's on here too. Oh. <laughs> we got tips. tip. Yo-ho, yo-ho, go to the We put your rest, we want the stone, and then we can stop it. We put it in a waffle bowl, and then we... Coldstone Creamery, yeah. So they were really into that, right? You know, I, I don't know. I, if I was making minimum wage, that probably wouldn't be the job for me. I just, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. So, um, so I found it kind of fun and interesting, right? So the first time I walk into Cold Stone Creamery, you know, we get our ice cream, and then I drop the, the change in the, in, the, you know, in the tip jar, and it rattles. And they look at me, and they say, what's your name? And they, I said, well, my name is Luke. And, and then they start singing a song with my name in it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, And, you know, I got ice cream. I got, they sang sang a song with my name in it. Everyone knows I tipped, okay? Um, And and, and so then the next time I went to Cold Stone, I was like, I'm going to do this again. That was cool. I dropped the change in the jar, and they sang a different song, and they didn't even ask me my name. I was like what in the world? Like, come to find out, there's like 33 songs they memorize, okay? And, and they kind of cycle through these songs. Um, I don't know if every location does that or not, but um, it's something they're supposed to do, I guess, according to their corporate rules and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I could have asked them to sing the song with my name in it, but that would have been kind of like egotistical, I think. Like, here, I'm going to tip you, sing the song with my name in it, okay? Um, so, <laughs> so Cold Stone cream. now you know why I like to go and and, and tip at Cold Stone because it's super fun. Um, as we see Jesus challenging the heart motivation that feeds ego in verses 1 and 2, um, and actually I'll give you a reminder what verses 1 and 2 say, "...be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven." Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Um, Jesus is challenging us on a couple things. Um, I want to I go ahead and just walk through this. So I highlighted a couple things in there. We're going to dig into the, into the original language just a little bit because I think it, it gives us a better idea of what Jesus is actually saying. So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That word there, to be seen by them, that has the same root word that we use for the theater. Like where you go to watch a movie or where you go to see somebody, you know, act um, like a drama, go see a drama. It has a sense of putting on a show in front of people. Okay, that, that word. Jesus is, is saying here, don't practice your righteousness in front of others in such a manner that you're putting on a show before them that's what he's saying there. And then the word for hypocrite on this next slide the word for hypocrite was used in non-religious contexts in Jesus time when they used this word hypocrite this actually was actor. And it, it and it I mean we show up and it's literally somebody is playing another part, right? That's what an actor does. Um, in a religious context, it's it's a negative thing, right? You're putting on a face. You're putting on a mask, and you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. You're pretending to be somebody that is righteous, when in fact, you're not somebody that's righteous. The most important word, though, I think, is the last word. Don't do it in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. This word for applauded by people, it's the same, for, the same word that's used in the rest of the New Testament when referring to giving God the glory giving him the honor and esteem and recognition that is due to God and God alone. In fact, it's rarely used in the context, very rarely, of giving praise and glory to humans in the New Testament. You can look it up. You can look up this word, and, and uh, it's doxa. You can look up that word, and it's varying forms of very, very rarely, and this is one of the few times is it used, and it's used every time in a negative sense when it's used in reference to people. So Jesus is using this word in an intentional way. He's pointing out the fact that hypocrites wrongfully try to steal the glory that rightfully belongs to God alone. He is digging in. It it appears the passage is about giving, but as you're going to find over the next several weeks, Jesus is talking about the heart motivation. So we have Jesus telling the crowds not to put on a mask, act out righteousness as if they're on a stage for everybody to see them, to receive the glory that's rightfully God's alone. And he says to the hypocrites that they have their reward. And what's that reward? The the reward is public recognition. That's it. That's the only reward that they get. That's what their heart truly desires, and they're going to get it. That's it. Public recognition with people. So as a reminder, the scribes and the Pharisees did this very thing. Look what, uh, look what Jesus says. Um, I, I'd imagine this is in his mind as he's walking through heart motivations. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. This is later in Matthew. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they practice They don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by the people. So Jesus makes it clear that we're not to be like that a heart that is close to God doesn't desire doesn't desire praise from other people. Um, Jesus goes on to, to make it clear that the motivation of our heart um, not only should not be other people's approval, but he says the motivation shouldn't be self-affirmation either. And so uh, Matthew, uh, or convincing myself of my own righteousness, Matthew 6, 3, back to verse 3, says this, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So let me ask you something: How would you practically apply that? Left hand, right hand. Don't don't let it know what it's. It's impossible, right? It's impossible to let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. So Jesus is talking in a figurative way when he says this. So a uh, couple couple guys say this about this particular passage of scripture. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men, which is what we just talked about, while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. Another guy says this. He says, Christ does not call on people simply to be more skillful in their calculations and to live with a more subtle, that is, religious form of self-affirmation. Instead, he uses the reference to the reward actually given by God to expose human self-promotion as the secret goal of good deeds, So, the second impure motive for performing righteous acts is to make myself feel better about who I am. Jesus wants us to perform righteous acts without trying to bolster our own self-esteem. Here's the catch. Here's the catch. The one that has faith in Christ, who has the unconditional love of God, doesn't need to be affirmed because the God of the universe has already loved them extravagantly. And not only that, but he's loved them extravagantly at their very worst, because Christ died while we rejected him, while we rejected God. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So knowing everything about you, down to the nitty-gritty, awful details, Christ still died for you, not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. That's why Christ died for you. For a follower of Jesus, that should bolster our that should bolster our confidence because being loved by the God of the universe has nothing to do with what I do, my righteous acts. It has absolutely everything to do with, with, with what Christ has done. There's, there's freedom in that because now I don't perform righteous acts out of obligation, trying to earn God's love, trying to earn God's favor. I perform, or, or the favor of others, I perform righteous acts not out of obligation but out of love for God. Not to earn favor with God, but because I'm already in God's favor because of Christ. There's huge freedom in, this, in the implications of this. I don't have to worry about whether my righteous acts are righteous enough or whether I've done enough to feel good about myself today because I'm loved by the God of the universe. And here's the thing, though. All of that said, that's a miracle. All of that said, even those who are sinners saved by grace still struggle with this desire to be affirmed by others around them, and this desire to be to bolster their own self-esteem, even though they've been given a tremendous gift by God, they're valued by God in a tremendous way. So that brings us to the fact that the motive for righteous acts isn't always isn't always clear, and so we need to sift our hearts regularly. Sometimes um, I'm reflecting and, and I go, "There's something wrong with." My attitude or my heart right now, my motivation is off. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, maybe you experience the same thing. Um, what we've talked about so far isn't a condemnation. Don't hear if you struggle with these things, you're probably not saved or something weird like that. That's that's not necessarily true. There's the there's the new creation that you've been made made in Jesus Christ, and there's the flesh and. In this lifetime, those are at war with each other. Um, I would encourage you, though, if you are saying, maybe, maybe there's something off about the way, my perspective, um, ask God to sift your heart. So David, um, Old Testament king, David is called a man after God's own heart in the New Testament. And if that doesn't speak to a person's heart motivation, I'm not sure what does. Um, David wrote this in one of his songs as he was reflecting on himself and who God was. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So even David, a man after God's own heart, acknowledged he may not fully understand or know what motivates him, but he trusts God and he comes to God and says, God, reveal in me any issues there could be, and change my perspective, purify me, make me holy. And I think it's because David realizes this, that he is a follower of the one true God, and the glory of God is his story. His glory is now your story. His desire was to glorify God in his thoughts, desires, and actions. And with that thought, we're going to go and move on to Jesus' last point, so um, there have been several times in the last eight or nine years that uh, my my wife Rachel and I have received anonymous gifts from people, the financial gifts, and uh, every time it's coming like a like a an envelope, and it usually has aren't you know one of our names on the front of it, and and then there's cash inside. It's always cash because um, and uh, and uh, we uh, it's all it always comes at a time, uh, well almost always comes at a time where. Um, we really could use the help. Um, occasionally it comes at a time where we're not as tight financially and then we're able to do something that we wouldn't normally be able to do, like go out on a nice date or take the family out. Um, I remember one time we uh, we got one and inside was this slip of paper. I have no idea who did this. It was a slip of paper next to the cash. And on the slip of paper, it was clear that the person had written with their non-dominant hand. like It was like all scribbly and stuff not letting their right hand know what their left hand was doing, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but on it, it says, please don't ask, is what it says. So I'm guessing they didn't want me to like, snoop around to try and try to figure out who gave this. Um, but have you ever tried writing with your non-dominant? I mean, it is. It's, it's difficult. It's not pretty. Um, so like I said, sometimes, sometimes those gifts uh, come at, it came at a crucial time for us, and sometimes it was just a, a huge blessing. But you know what I didn't do? Any of those situations. I didn't say thank you to a person. I said thank you to God. I gave God the glory because that's all I could do. It was an anonymous gift. And so I think that's close to what Jesus' mind, uh, in Jesus' mind, or what he had in mind when he said give in secret. It's twofold, actually. So the first thing is, we're a little closer to bypassing some of the impure motivations if we give in secret, aren't we? Because we're not, we're not looking for the affirmation of others. We still have the heart motivation to deal with. But, um, but I also think it's more likely that the person who receives that gift, whether it's financial, whether it's time, whether it's um, they just need help on their car, whatever it is, um, it glorifies, God better than, uh, it glorifies God better than an earthly benefactor because they'll do like we did and say, God, we praise you and we thank you. We don't know who did this, but thank you for using them. Thank you for using them at a time that, um, where they were feeling generous and, and they stepped out in faith and they gave towards us. Um, so giving in secret or doing any other righteous act in a discreet way for that matter seems to provide a more sure indicator of where our heart is with God. My question for you is, do you want him to receive the glory, or do you want to receive the glory? Do you want people to remember you, or do you want people to remember Christ? Um, They're more likely, if you do something anonymously... um, to glorify God, to glorify Christ. The other better motive for righteous acts is uh, love for others. And so um, if our hearts have been changed by Christ and now we follow Christ's footsteps, we are to be lovers of God and not lovers of ourselves. We're to be selfless and self-sacrificial now, then we'll also love others. So as I was studying, um, I discovered that in Christ's time, uh, so you know the Jews had to per- perform temple sacrifices this is the way they um, atoned for their sins, and uh, it was obviously a lot more difficult for uh, poor people to do that than rich people to do that so uh, I mean you know it costs money to kill this animal to buy this animal and to go and kill it and to sacrifice it. Uh, what I did not know um, that makes sense, but what i didn 't know was that the wealthy jews they could they could um, on behalf of those who were poor actually buy their sacrifice for them or give to them um, so that those were poor, they could still go and sacrifice. Now, um, the wealthy were encouraged in theory to do this discreetly, but what we know is in practicality, they actually were given very high honors for giving to the poor. So, for instance, those that developed a reputation for giving to the poor, they got to sit next to the rabbi, in the synagogue, like, okay, this person has developed a reputation for giving to the poor. We must highly honor them. They get to sit next to the rabbi. Some of them were even given monuments that were built in their name. And so, let me ask you something. How do you think the recipients of that generosity felt when they saw that that this was not being done for their benefit necessarily. It was being done for the selfish gain of somebody else. That's a distortion of what God really wanted when he talks about giving and selfless acts towards people. Instead, Christ calls us to give much because much has been given to us. So he freely gave his life without anything in return, and so we too should perform righteous acts, whether it's giving financially giving of our time, serving in some way. We have to do these things. We do them and we get to do them out of a genuine love for people because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So the last motivation, better motivation, so meeting a need, the last better motivation is uh, loving others by encouraging a fellow believers or spurring one, an, one another on. So I want to look at uh, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. let me ask you something by seeing a brother or sister in Christ meet a need, or uh, meet a need or serve or love God and do these things in a way that's selfless does that when they when they actually perform an, a selfless act of, of love for God, one that doesn't seem to give them any kind of personal gain uh, one that' it seems like it's done out of a pure motivation, does that encourage you to do the same thing? I know for me, that encourages me, and it reminds me, oh yeah, our faith has wills. We're supposed to actually change the way that we live. We're supposed to now walk in God's ways and live in righteousness. When I see my brothers and sisters doing that, it reminds me that, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to let it change the way we live and let it affect the way that we live and the decisions that we make. Now, that would be one good reason for actually letting your righteousness being, be seen by others. But again, God cares about the heart. Are you doing it out of a genuine love for God and for others? If so, I'd say go for it. Pray that it encourages fellow believers in Christ to follow this path of glorifying God. Um, but again, the question is, is, is this true of you? God's glory, his glory is my story. Do I want him to be glorified first, or do I want the credit? Do I want the the honor? Do I want the place of esteem in people's eyes, or do I want to somehow build myself up, or do I want Christ? Do I want my life and everything that I am point to Jesus Christ? So how do we follow through on this? What do we do? Um, The first thing I want to challenge uh, us with is this. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't trusted your life to him... um, I want to encourage you to do that today again you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service after the last song we'll have dan and rachel and josh and laura up here to pray with you Um, but i want to encourage you commit your life to christ give it over to him there is amazing freedom and not wondering if i'm good enough but now that I, i i can live a righteous life in honor of the one who has been good enough for me. I want to encourage you to give your life over to Christ. Um, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, um, here's a few things to think over this week, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes here to, res- to just think through this, sift over it in your mind, uh, pray about it. But the first question I want you to ask and just wrestle with is, am I trying to fool myself or others into thinking I am for God's glory, when really I'm just, I'm just for myself? Ask God to search your heart. Um, ask God to correct that if it's there and help you deal with that. And then what things in my life do I do that are just between me and God? Do I spend time alone or in secret with God? If you only do things in front of others— and you think it's just for God, there might be an indication, and you don't ever do anything alone with God at all, or you don't do anything in secret, there might be an indication that there's something going on with your heart's motivation. So I want to encourage you to think through that one, pray over that. And then maybe one last thing, um, one thing I will do solely for God's glory this week is blank, and you fill in the blank. Um, pray over that. Um, and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to write it down and share it with us necessarily. Um, do it in secret. For God's glory this week, maybe it's loving a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe it's helping somebody in need, um, giving in some way. Um, there's a lot of things um, that could bring God glory, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Take a few minutes and reflect on these things. If you, again, if you are new today and you feel comfortable praying with us up here, but you, um, you want to take a next step, go ahead and fill out a response card, and that's going to go at the end here. Go ahead and fill that out, drop it in. If you have a prayer request. Pastor Ryan and I and the rest of the elders, we pray over the requests you you give to us each week. So go ahead and write that down, and we'll we'll be praying with you. If you'd like follow-up, go ahead and indicate that too, and we'll follow up with you. So take a few minutes.